Amen. What a tremendous hymn. We're turning in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read from verse 19. Let's hear God's word. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Reading, of course, from the authorized version for those online, the words will come on screen. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and have done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will repay, saith the Lord. And again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days, in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which is great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text this morning is taken from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, and I've entitled today's message, The Christian's Enduring Confidence in Christ. 
Now, according to the context, these Hebrew Christians, remember we're in the first century, were enduring a time of great persecution. It says in verse 33, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. This was indeed an awful ordeal of terrible affliction for God's people. Now, thankfully, none of us to date have had to experience this kind of persecution. Yes, we face reproach, ridicule, rejection. Most of us have had false things said about us. We have been slandered. We have been accused in the wrong, mostly by people who have been motivated by a spirit of jealousy and envy. But none of it could legitimately be called persecution because we have never been beaten almost to death. We haven't been arrested. We haven't been betrayed uh, by a family member and thrown into prison and tortured and had our property confiscated or, or witnessed our family being taken away. Why did this happen? Because they confess Christ as Lord and Savior. You see, people are suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ, even like this today. Communist places in the world. Muslim-dominated countries. And I want to tell you what is happening in those countries will eventually spill over into our Western world. And we're tasting a rise in opposition from the whole woke liberal left. See, they blame the churches. They say it's the Christians to blame for this and that in society. And, and so many in the church can't see it. And so many Christians can't see it. So many have a false view of the Christian life. Now, I believe God has a wonderful plan for your life. Yes, you could come to understand your part in God's plan. But your part in God's plan can be a life full of problems and difficulties. A life full of trials and troubles. A life of opposition and persecution. See, Jesus said... John 16 and 33, in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And Jesus Christ is the answer to the world's woes and problems. Jesus Christ is the greatest happiness that you can personally know. Jesus Christ does give life to the full. He said, I'm come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. But that life could include persecution. That life could include losing your possessions, being put out of your home. It could include imprisonment, torture, and even death. And how many professing Christians, when faced with hardship and opposition and trials and troubles, persecution or suffering, that's not what I signed up for. I didn't think this would happen to me in the Christian life. See, many love the prosperity plan that God has for them. But no persecuting plan for me, Lord. But remember, the Christian life is a warfare. We have been chosen to be soldiers in the army of King Jesus. We have been called to endure hardship and expect hardship, trials and tribulation. See, the Christian life's not trouble-free. There's no bed of roses. The Christian life is not a problem-free life. What it promises you is you can have great peace and joy, 
even in the midst of suffering and persecution. And every step of the way, he is with us in the midst of our trials and the midst of our troubles. One of my favorite promises to send out to people in the hour of need is taken from Isaiah chapter 40. And it's in 43 verse 2. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, they shall not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Remember what Luke the disciple said in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. In relation to the cross of Christ, he said this. And he said unto them all, the words of the Lord Jesus, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You see, the cross, remember, it's an instrument of slow, torturous death. And when you identify with Christ and his cross, you're identifying with suffering and pain and hardship and death. And here in this immediate context of our text, Hebrews 10, 26 to 31, you've got a strong warning about apostasy. Follow Jesus, Paul says, or you'll end up facing the judgment. And he exhorts and encourages God's people not to turn away from Christ. You see, in this persecution and time of great affliction, they were tempted to do so. That temptation was real. And Paul was saying, in spite of what you face, all the hardship and all the suffering, even the loss of home and possessions and job and freedom and life. And remember in that time, tens of thousands were being put to death. Tens of thousands were being burnt alive. They had tar poured over them. They were used as human tortures. They were facing the gladiators. They were thrown to the lions. Now, in that context, this is what Paul says to them in Hebrews 10 and verse um, 35, cast not away therefore your confidence, which is great recompense of reward. Now you and I is not facing such persecution at this time. Yet some of you are in times of difficulty. Some of you are facing health issues. We've got family problems. Employment woes is going to come down the line later this year. Financial matters and it'll impact on the church. And in such a day and such a time, we need a word into our ear from God. And what would God say to us? He would say this Cast not away therefore your confidence, which have great recompense or reward. That's what we want to think about this morning. Three things, and I'll be brief. The explanation about confidence. If you look at the word confidence and underline it, if my memory is right, it's used 39 times in the Bible. And when the Bible talks about confidence, it's talking about a deep trust and dependence on the Lord. Now, how do I know that? Because when I compare scripture with scripture, which is a good hermeneutical principle to follow, over in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 3, and in the verse um, uh, 26, we read these words. You might be familiar with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, but here's the verse 26, and it says, For the Lord shall be thy confidence, and shall keep thy foot 
from being taken. And further in the book of Proverbs, from the mouth of Solomon, one of the wisest men, the wisest man who ever lived, in Proverbs 14, verse 26, we read these words, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. So when he's saying, cast not away your confidence, he's saying, don't cast away your deep trust and dependence in the Lord. Remember, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. It's no confidence in self. It's not about self-reliance and self-dependence and self-motivation and self-help and self-esteem. We're not arrogant or full of pride or boastful. I can do all things. Well, that would be a, a sinful boast, wouldn't it? It would be boastful to say I'm so able to do all this and, and I'm so great and I'm so strong and I'm so humble as well. No, it's coming to the place where you recognize before God I have nothing, I am nothing, and I can do nothing to recommend me to God. I take the sinner's place. I, I come as a beggar to a great king. We're not to put confidence in self. We're not to put confidence in strong men, neither sinful men or silly men or even saintly men. Listen again to what the book of Proverbs tells us in Proverbs um, uh, chapter 25 and verse 19. Uh, this is what it says. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and like a foot out of joint. And if we follow the advice of the psalmist, because the psalmist tells us in Psalm 118 and verses 9 and 10, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. And here's the central message of the Bible, because these are the central two verses in the Bible, Psalm 118 verses 8 and 9. I'll tell you something else. We're not even to put confidence in gold and silver. A lot of people are putting their confidence there in their bank deposits and in their finances. But this is what Job says in Job 31 and in the verse 24. If I have made gold my hope or have said to the fine gold, thou art my confidence. See, Job was a rich man. And his false accusers, the, the, the friends who came to comfort him and comfort him wrongly by telling him he had sinned greatly against the Lord and had sinned secretly and hidden it from them and, and he needed to confess it. And Job was making an argument and Job says, but I haven't put my confidence in gold or, or in fine gold. I haven't said to them, thou art my confidence, not in my bank account. It's not even in, in, in the doctors and physicians who are treating me. It's, it's trust in the Lord. Now notice this. If you go back to our text, it says, cast not away therefore your confidence. Underline the word therefore. It means in light of or in view of. And that's taking us back further into the context. You see, Paul's trying to get them to remember you were enlightened. Look at verse 32 but called to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated. The former days refers to a time they were saved. 
How were they saved? By the grace of God alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. There was a time when they were introduced to the Lord. There's a time when they trusted in him. And he's saying, cast your mind back to that time when the Lord worked in your heart and life. The time when you were brought to Christ. Remember, before that, you were spiritually blind. You, you were unable to see the light. You didn't see your need of a savior. You didn't see your sin. You didn't see salvation. You had no love for Christ. You, you had no interest in him. You thought you were good enough for God. You had no idea how terrible your sin was. You didn't understand the, um, or have an appetite for the fact of why Christ died on the cross for you. You were spiritually blind. You were in the dark. And then something wonderful happened. You were eliminated. God opened your eyes. And now you can see the need of the Savior, your sin. You can see salvation. Isn't this what Paul was emphasizing whenever he said in 2 Corinthians uh, and in chapter 4, uh, verses uh, 4 through to 6? In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ is the image of God should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, have shined in our hearts. That's what happened. That's how they were illuminated. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Remember, not only you were enlightened, but remember you were evangelized. You come to Christ, how? Not trusting in self, not in your silver, not in strong men, but you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. See, the Christian life, you know what it's like? It's like falling in love. Any young girls falling in love? Young men falling in love with a, a young girl? Not deny him because you love him. Not desert him because you love him. Not denounce him because you love him. And yet, when you come to Christ, these people, like many today, are hit with tribulation. Paul talks about, he says here in verse um, 32, ye endured a great flight of afflictions. In other words, they started to face difficulty and hardship. Here they are running to trust Christ. And he's telling them, despite this great deal of affliction you're now enduring, hang in there. He tells them, partly made a gazing stock. Do you know what that means? It means they were a public spectacle. Not only was it ridicule and rejection, but these people were being robbed of their possessions. These people were having their homes repossessed. These people were being arrested and put into prison. And there was a large crowd out watching them. Thankfully, there were those that came to their aid, those that befriended them, those that sympathized, those that brought them food and clothing and maybe a book into the prison because there was nothing like that supplied at that time. He says, not only remember you were enlightened and remember you were evangelist, but remember you had exuberance. Look at verse 34. For ye had, my, ye had compassion of me and my bond. See, remember Paul, Peter, Paul was in prison. And took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. See, they were robbed, their homes were repossessed. Knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Now, now think of that. You took it joyfully. They, 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 
realized that God was sovereign. God was in control. They, 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 they didn't take it badly. They took it joyfully. Now, let me ask this question. Is the Lord your confidence this morning? Have you got a God, a strong confidence in the fear of the Lord? Is your hope and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Can you say that's all that matters to me? I've been enlightened. My eyes have been opened. I've seen my sin, seen the need of a Savior, seen the need of salvation. I've been evangelized by the power of the gospel. God has worked in my heart and brought me to Christ. And I'm full of joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And I'm only strong in the Lord. Because that's the explanation of the word confidence. That's what it means. Now notice, secondly, and very quickly, the experience of confidence. You see, if the Lord is your confidence this morning, then your heart and mind will be filled with the realities of eternal priorities. You see, these dear believers, according to Hebrews 10, 34, took joyfully the spoiling of their goods. What does that mean? It means their house was raided by the authorities. The, the local police came to arrest them, maybe in the middle of the night, maybe in the early hours of the morning. Can, can you just imagine them being brought out of their house, the father, the mother, the children, the young people, and they're all taken off in separate police wagons and you can you just imagine the mob there the, the minute they're brought out the mob come in and start looting their possessions out of their house carrying them off the house is maybe boarded up the house is maybe burnt to the ground and here's the police watching and they're with you you're in handcuffs and they're watching on and they're not intervening to stop the mob or what they're doing. And your wife and children are taking off separately and there's none to help. And where would your mind be in that time? Well, their mind was not on temporal things, but it was on the eternal. Because the Bible tells us here, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. They, they knew from the scriptures that God had a home for them in heaven. They knew that God had a better and enduring substance for them. Doesn't the Bible talk about treasure in heaven? Remember the Lord Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6 and in the verse 20. He made this tremendous statement. Think of these words. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rough doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Where is your treasure today? Have you got treasure in heaven? Because you've discovered the treasure in the Holy Scriptures. For the law of the Lord is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. And, and how did David find the treasure? Matthew went out the door. Daddy came back. He went into the kitchen. He looked different places. But he couldn't find it. Do you know why? Because he, he said no to the map. The map was here. I had it in the hand. I asked him, do you want the map? No. But David took the map. And David searched around. Communion table. And below the paper. And then he eventually came up into the pool. And he found it. You see, the priority has to be on God's treasure. And there's treasure in the word. And there's treasure stored up in heaven. And the word is forever settled in heaven. And every word of God is pure. 
And you know, from the word of God, you can enjoy a golden pardon, forgiveness of all sins, thought, word, and deed, a great peace, a godly purpose, a gifted power. See, Jesus is in heaven and he's going to prepare a place for you if you're in Christ. And one day he'll return to this earth and, and give you a new body like unto his body in the resurrection. And he will restore all things. Their heart and mind was full of the eternal things, things in heaven. Their heart and mind was full of the fear of the Lord. In the fear of the Lord, ye shall have strong confidence. Think of the adjective here, strong if you have the fear of the Lord, you'll not be afraid of men. Or you're going to be made as a gazing stock, a public example. And why do we put up with these things? Well, why not just decide to blend in with the crowd? Be one of the boys or, or one of the girls? Because your focus is not about pleasing self. It's not about pleasing society. It's about the fear of the Lord. The fear of Jesus Christ. Is your heart and mind full of putting God first? Matthew 6 and 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. Have got a love for the Lord? Do you love him with all your heart, soul, mind and strength? Is that your chief motivation? The central thing in your life, the Lord first. And if you have a love for the Lord, you'll have a love for your neighbor, saint or sinner. See, these people were treated badly. And they were treated badly because of Christ. And in their heart and mind, they put the Lord first. And in their heart and mind, there was a submission to the will of God. Listen to verse 36. For ye have need of patience after that ye have done the will of God. See, the will of God was brought in. And it was the will of God that some of them were put in prison. Some were not. Some were put to death and some were not. Some had all their possessions taken away and others had not. Why? Because God has a purpose. And God is sovereign in the outworking of his purpose. And it's not the same for all. And yet Paul says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them are the called according to God's purpose. And you know, when you're facing trials and trouble, difficulty, isn't it so hard to submit to God's will? We question his love. We question his wisdom. We question his justice. We question his power. But remember how he worked to bring you enlightenment, to evangelize you, to fill you with joy, because he does love us. He has opened our eyes. We, we have joy in the knowledge of him. He is faithful. He will keep you. He'll fill your heart and mind. He'll give you a sight of eternity, help you to fear him. Put him first and submit to his will. One final thing this morning. I want you to think of the exhortation of encouragement. If you look at our text, it says, cast not away there for your confidence. The Apostle Paul was out to encourage God's people. The chief thing about Hebrews is he set forth the supremacy and superiority of Jesus Christ in the fullness of his person and work. Don't be going back, he says. Don't quit the Christian life. Don't be forsaken the Lord. Why? Because Jesus Christ is your confidence. The Christian's enduring confidence is Christ. And he's the only confidence you need. He's the only confidence you have in the Christian life. None else would do. Because there is no other confidence. Not in self, not in strong men, not in society, not in silver, but in the Savior. Maybe you're saying, but I can't stick this. 
I feel like throwing in the trial. What's the use? What's the point? Well, listen to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6 says this. But Christ, who is a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. In chapter 3, verse 14, we read, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. The word if, it's not about a doubt here. It's about a certainty. Though we hold the beginning of our confidence. And over there in chapter 10 and verse 35, we read our text, Cast not away therefore your confidence with the great recompense of reward. And in God's confidence, as we finish this morning, let's think of God's purpose. He mentions here in verse 36 of having done the will of God. That's tied into the revealed will of God, according to God's word, his commandments, his precepts. We're taught to love the Lord, with all our hearts, soul, mind, strength. We're taught to love our fellow man. But it's not only a reference to the revealed will of God, I believe it's a reference to God's sovereign will. It's connected to God's eternal purpose. Because in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 3 and in the verse 10, the apostle Paul has this to say, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. See, God's will from all eternity covers all people, all places, all events, all all men, all periods of history, all things. God's sovereign will from all eternity. And that's for the sovereign will. Jesus Christ came to do the Father's will. And the Father's will was for him to go to the cross. Do you see that? And if the Father's will was the cross for him, then we must take up our cross daily and we must follow him. God is he who is foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. The eternal purpose of the triune God, it finds its center in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, when we're suffering trials and troubles, difficulties, we begin to question why. God's wisdom, God's love, God's ability, God's power. And we have a tendency not only to be full of questions and ask why, but we have a tendency to worry. And we can even be brought to the depths of despair. But let's remember his sovereign purpose. Let's remember that he loves us in that sovereign purpose. Loves us in Christ eternally, freely, sacrificially, personally, continually. What about God's saving pardon? There's power in the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from all sin. The Bible tells us the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses them all. Every sin dealt with at Calvary. All sin, it says, not not in part, but the whole. The sins of the thought, the word, and the deed. See, the devil torments us. What about your sins? But our sins are under the power of the blood. Our sins have been cleansed and covered in the blood. The sins have been cancelled out because sin causes fear and torment. When Adam sinned, he ran and hid from God. God called them and brought them to repentance and, 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 and provided a, 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 an atonement through the, the, the death of a, a, a lamb. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there's no remission. Christ's blood was shed. Forgiveness is real. It's available. Do you know anything about God's saving pardon? In this exhortation, don't cast away your comfort. Don't cast away that saving pardon that you have in Christ. What about God's strong power? He is able to keep us. 
Paul says in 2 Timothy in chapter 1 and in verse 12, he makes an amazing statement. Listen to what the word of God says. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. An old man looking death in the face, looking back in life, and he's fully persuaded because he's looking to the Lord. His confidence is in Christ, even in the face of death. And he's confident that he which begun a good work in him will continue it on to the very day that he brings him home to glory. Oh, let's not doubt God's power. What about God's superior position? He's on the throne. He sits on the throne this morning. And Christ is at his right hand. And we thought about the intercession of Christ a few weeks ago, his pleading and his prayers for us. And what about God's sweet promises this morning? There's 7,300 in the book and they're all yea men in Christ. And we can stand in those promises. And what about God's sympathetic pity? Do you know God pities his children? He not only has sympathy, and we sympathize with those that mourn, sympathize with those that are ill, but God has empathy. He feels it in his heart. He's not a cold daddy. He's not an emotionless daddy. He, he shares our grief. He understands our sorrows. And with this I finish this morning. And this is the last reference. Over there in the book of Isaiah, and I've sent this out to a few people this week. Listen to these words in Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 9. In their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bare them and carried them all the days of old. What a tremendous promise to remember God's sympathetic pity. And through these means that I've mentioned, this exhortation to not cast away the confidence comes to the fore. What an encouragement this morning. Encouragement and confidence. Cast it not away because it's confidence in Christ. We're going